This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Sped Haters' daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and Fraser Nelson. And we are going to be discussing Jeremy Hunt's spring budget. To begin, thank you panellists. Um, Thank you, Katie. Kate, what struck out to you most uh, when it comes to what we heard today? I thought it was quite interesting that it was the forecast in terms of the OBR saying, which have already started to dominate the news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't think the most interesting thing was any announcement that Jeremy Hunt made. It was the forecast around it. So the OBR have now said that they no longer predict a recession. They do expect an economic contraction this year, but a relatively mild one, about 0.2%. And they think we're going to avoid the technical definition of recession which is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. I mean, that's really good news. And then if you look at their forecast for growth in the future, over the next four years, they average around 2%. Now, is that incredible? Is that, you know, what we need post-COVID? No, we probably need something more, but it's a lot better than where we were. And this has given Jeremy Hunt a lot more room to maneuver. So he now has fiscal headroom for borrowing is expected of around $40 billion. That figure is much higher than people have estimated. He's already spent about $15 billion of that year on year and what he's promised today around childcare and, and lots of the other policies that we can get into. But the really big news, I think, is these forecasts. And the other one I would quickly mention is inflation. I mean, this one kind of struck me and let's hope it's let's hope it's correct the OBR now thinks that inflation is going to get down to just below three percent by the end of the year that's the headline rate of course that would suggest that where we are now above 10 percent in double digits is going to fall to something really close to the bank's target it is the most optimistic forecast I've seen on inflation yet and given where we are now the OBR must think we're, we're looking at a spectacular fall in the headline rate to get there by the end of the year. So Fraser, if that comes to pass, will you be cheering on Rishi Sunak for one of his priorities? Well, that's pretty much what we expected before Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister. It's a little, little bit better. But remember, inflation is falling all over the world. The British fall is being replicated in France and Germany and Canada and Israel. So to claim credit for it, as this government is rather misleadingly trying to do, I think isn't something which I would, um, go, would go along with. But this was a pretty minimalist budget that we all expected. It's got lots of bad news that we all expected. The big corporation tax increases proceeded as planned. The overall tax burden next year will be the highest ever in British peacetime history. So these are pretty significant if you're a Conservative government wanting re-election. What then do you say to the public in election time that we are the party of low taxation? Difficult thing to do. But what jumped out at me most of all was the welfare reform. I think that's our biggest single problem, not just in the economy, but in the country right now. That We've got something like 5.2 million people on out-of-work benefits, a million more than we had pre-pandemic. Now, of course, during the pandemic, lots of crazy things happened, but you would expect that when the lockdown stopped, the recovery can begin. And yet the recovery is coming in without the skills and the um, abilities and the presence of um, some of the half a million people in, in the labour market now than we're expected to be, and a million more on benefits. The question is how much room for manoeuvre the government's got. 
Now, verbally, we heard quite a lot from Jeremy Hunt. He was saying that the Conservatives are the party of work. They believe in um, the virtues. This is sort of typical kind of Tory language. And he said he would be increasing conditionality. In other words, if you want to receive benefits, then he might make it a little bit harder for you. You might have to show you're doing more of a work search, etc. Of course, when you hear these words in the budget, the big question is, what does it add up to? So there, nowadays, we turn to the Office for Budget Responsibility, which says it's going to have a negligible effect, just 10,000 more people in work. Now, that's a lot of people, but not when you think that there's 5.2 million on benefits. So on the face of what the OBR has got to say, it might be too pessimistic, but on the face of what it's got to say right now, there's not much reason for believing that this problem, which means that one in five people in, in Birmingham and Liverpool and Glasgow are in out-of-work benefits right now, but this problem is going to go away anytime soon. And on the out of work, Jeremy Hunt was talking about three different groups. So one is those on benefits. One is uh, the people he thinks are retiring early, who need to get off the golf course. And then there's those who are not taking work because of childcare. The OBR was a bit more optimistic, Kate, when it comes to that childcare pledge in terms of how many people that could get back into the workplace. Yeah, so the OBR is more optimistic on the childcare front and the changes that that's going to make. They, they estimate that 75,000 people, primarily women, may be able to get back into the workforce. But we have to be a little bit skeptical of these childcare policies and the knock-on effects. So, you know, we talk about free childcare. Well, of course, it's not free. It's funded by the taxpayer. And when you create, you know, free stuff for a certain group of people, it's going to increase the demand from that group in what is already a, a very tight market. I mean, there's just not a load of supply when it comes to childcare. They put out an incentive there, haven't they, on childminders? They have, and they've changed the ratio slightly to make it slightly more liberal, but given the fact that the UK has some of the highest childcare costs in the OECD, the hard truth here is that these subsidies for one group may well make costs higher for another group, and that might mean that they use it less. So it'll be interesting to see if that 75,000 figure, if, if the government can reach it, or if it actually ends up being offset with other people who feel like they actually can't access childcare as much. The pension stuff is interesting too, and I think that the policy is right. The increase of the pension annual allowance, abolishing the lifetime allowance, I think these are sensible things for Jeremy Hunt to do. But the real difficulty he has when it comes to older workers is that so many of those people, especially during the COVID years, will have realized that they're quite comfortable where they are. Perhaps they're planning to earn a bit more money, but they now realize that they can live without it. And a lot of those people aren't going to want to return to the grind. And so whilst these incentives, I think, might be meaningful for some people, the idea that you can fundamentally shift that perspective to get 55, 60-year-olds who are really happy with their new lifestyle back into work um, requires a mindset change as well. And it's not one that I think the state ultimately is going to be best place to deliver. Fraser, you've kept quite a close eye on Jonathan Ashworth from the Labour Party and what he's been saying on the out of work. Who are you more impressed by? Mel Stride, obviously, Jeremy Hunt speaking today, but he is the Work and Pension Secretary. Or Jonathan Ashworth in terms of what both parties are talking about? I think the Labour Party right now has got two very impressive frontbenchers. West Streeting, the health, Shadow Health Secretary, and John Ashworth, Shadow Work and Pensions. I think he is now using the language which the Tories were using in opposition, saying, look at this waste of human lives, it's worse than money, not enough is being done. Now, of course, I, I think he's quite uh, sincere uh, there. Whether the rest, how much of the rest of his party is on board with him is another question. But I do think the Tories are just going way too, way too slowly on this. I mean, an, an extra 10,000 is just negligible, really. 
But if you have a look at the OBR figures, they're, they're, the real boost to the workforce isn't going to come from the back-to-work mums, about 75,000, nor is it going to come from people coming off welfare, 10,000. It's going to come from immigrants, 160,000. Now, to me, this was the really big thing, looking at the OBR's forecasts. It's now expecting the post-Brexit regime not to be letting in net migration of 205,000, as it thought only a few months ago in November. It now thinks it's going to be 245,000. So over the next five years, it's going to expect about 1.6 million people to arrive, up from 1.3. This has big implications. For example, in 2027, the OBR says it expects growth of about 2%, a quarter of which is going to come simply from increased net migration. So it seems here as if the Conservatives are now doing what they accuse Labour of doing in opposition, relying on immigrants to get the job done, as it were, to come on and do the most of the economic work, while not really making much inroads into the number of British people on benefits who we can help back into work. It has been doing something with disability benefits. These are all good and they're welcome. Whereas the 400 million to look at mental health, for example. But to me, perhaps the single most shocking part of the OBR report is looking at what it expects for mental health. Mental health problem is one which the Conservatives did not expect. If you look at the number of claims now for mental health, um, for disability allowance, they're running at, broadly speaking, more than double they were pre-pandemic. But by, by, by 2027, 12% of the workforce in this country is going to be on some kind of health-related benefit. That's up from 8% pre-pandemic. So it sees the overall problem of a welfare system which is just not really helping people with mental health issues. It, it's basically ensnaring them in welfare. It's not getting them back to work. It sees this problem being very bad now, but getting a lot worse. Now, I think this is something which neither political party has really started to talk about. It's complicated. There, there are some mental health issues where people spoke a lot in the pandemic about how lockdowns would exacerbate mental health. I'm not quite sure anybody expected the sheer volume of mental health benefit claims to be as high as it was now. And the OBR now says it, can, it expects this to be a significant trend in the British economy. It expects this to go on for years, way after the election. It expects that because nobody has come up with any kind of solution to recognise, let alone fix, this problem. And Kate, moving back to tax... Ultimately, Fraser's spoken about how there's definitely some disappointment, despite, I think, the fact the Treasury were pretty clear in advance because they knew it'd be such a row that the corporation tax uplift is going ahead, something Rishi Sunak has personally backed for some time, so not such a surprise. But he did try to uh, soften it, didn't he? He did. He has brought in a system of full expensing, which, to be fair, a a lot of free marketeers have been calling for, again, quite sensible policy. He's trying to sell it as a £9 billion corporation tax cut. I'm not sure that people are going to buy that aspect of it, that he somehow brought in this massive cut when he's actually hiking the rate for the largest businesses. But to expand tax out a little bit, Katie, for me, this budget told us a lot about how Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak really see their role in and, and the size of the state. Because for months now, we've had Sunak and Hunt talking about how you know their real commitment is to fiscal responsibility, to getting the public finances back in order. That has been the narrative since the mini-budget blow-up under Liz Truss. And you still see that narrative in today's budget. But what's so telling is that whilst on the one hand, they really want to say, like, we're the prudent ones, they are now overseeing a massive 
state. So not only do you have the tax burden near a post-war high, as Fraser mentioned, the OBR estimates that the ratio of public spending to GDP now is going to settle at around 43.5%, which is the highest sustained level since the 1970s. This is not a small state government. And whilst there's a lot of talk about responsibility, they are just about sustaining the management of an absolutely massive state, and one that they're contributing to with you know additional packages and all the rest of it. These are not people who are interested in cutting the size of government, at least not yet. Now, maybe they're waiting to do that in another budget, but it strikes me that this idea that the Tories are in any way going to be small state conservatives is just so long gone now. I don't know if you supported it, Kay, but this, this new £1 million prize the government's giving to somebody to come up with some new AI innovation. And it's strange, this is a very sort of interventionist, big state conservatism sort of thing, that it's the government's job to encourage scientists and innovators to do what they want, and it's the government's rule to offer a million pounds of taxpayers' money to people who come up. Now, the thing is, in a competitive free market, if you come up with a fantastic new idea, you sell it to a company who can monetize it pretty quickly. But it's funny that the, almost the reaction of these guys now is that it's the government's rule to foster innovation, to, to try to incubate the scientific research, etc. You know, it's hardly the biggest financial measurement in this budget, but still a sign of where they are mentally. Mm-hmm. But they start to think that they're in charge of the whole country, not just the public services. And just finally, Fraser, we're talking about the budget. Is this the biggest news today when it comes to the economy, or could that be taking place somewhere else? You're referring probably, Katie, to Credit Suisse and the wobbles um, that are happening right now. Now, it's certainly the case that when global interest rates are even a little bit higher, we're talking 3 or 4%, you start to see things wobbling that would never wobble before. So, And I think in Kate's cover piece, uh, she rather brilliantly draws a line between the pension crisis, which pretty much deposed Liz Truss a few months ago, and the Californian ructions, which led to the collapse of SVB Bank over there. What's happening now with Credit Suisse? Because there are so, there's a phrase in finance that you keep raising rates until something breaks. And when you do raise rates, eventually you find how many businesses were basically betting on rates never going up. Like these, these um, Californians were put all their investments in bonds, the value of which goes down when rates go up. And it just didn't hedge against an era where rates would go significantly higher. They topple over. So we're now seeing how much of our financial architecture was always based on this massive bet that rates would never go up. Now, I don't think, by the way, the Credit Suisse will follow. It's got a very different business model. It's far better capitalized. There wasn't a run in the bank like there was with the Californians. But I do think that we're in an era now where there's going to be more unpleasant surprises. There was a note from Capital Economics this morning saying that these one-off things are happening rather a lot now. The pension crisis is supposed to be a one-off. The um, the collapse of the regional banks in America, a one-off. And now the wobbles of Credit Suisse, a one-off. We're always told one-off isolated events. Sooner or later, as Kate argues in her piece, you'll see a pattern. And we will wonder what's next. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Kate. And thank you for listening. (laughs) 